What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice though, they really mean flavor. Like in your face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either, but it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice, anything but subtle. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. We're coming to you on a Tuesday morning from downtown Los Angeles. We've got a lot to cover from last night, which is Penn State's Rose Bowl victory over Utah, 35-21. to Very impressive, and ultimately a lot of separation in this matchup against the Pac-12 champions. An 11th win for this Nittany Lions squad. We are fresh out of Monday night interviews with uh, Penn State head coach James Franklin, the offensive MVP, Sean Clifford, defensive MVP, Jair Brown, and several other members of this roster, a few of whom are moving on, a few of whom have decisions to make. And let's face it, we don't have all the facts right now in terms of the roster decisions that are still to come. Go over to lions247.com. We are not flying on a Tuesday, so if news pops, we're in a pretty good spot. But We'll have a podcast up later in the week. We'll probably have some conversations about that then. But, fellas, Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallen joining me here. Um, let's focus on what we witnessed in game number 13 on the 2022-2023 schedule. Mark, uh, pretty emphatic fashion in Penn State getting to an 11-2 and finish. Yeah, I mean, the thing I liked is that the, the, the two MVPs of the game for Penn State, Sean Clifford and Jair Brown, they kind of personified what this team was all about. You know, you get you get into a season, <clears throat> excuse me, where uh, you lose a couple games midway through, and you know could could have gone a bunch of different ways. And I think the leadership of this team, you know, you have two captains; those are two of the captains. The leadership overall uh, took over. Uh, for me, I thought it was great to see Sean Clifford play the way he did. He wasn't just a game manager; he went out there, he made great decisions. Uh, checked him into stuff, checked him out of stuff. You know, I'm sure Yersich was helping over in, on the sideline. Uh, but that was, you know, we were talking before the game. Has he had a signature win yet? He's had some great performances, but he's not necessarily had great performances against teams of this caliber. And this was it. In his final game of a long career, he is able to have that sort of performance. As, in, in terms of Tig Brown, I thought he was robbed. We we talked about it not being, you know, at least first or second team, all Big Ten. He was third team. I think he felt he had to make a statement, and he went out there and, and made a statement. Uh, you know, intercepting a pass, what, one and a half sacks, uh, doing the stuff that he's he led the team in tackles. Uh, you know, one of the things that I think hurt him in terms of not winning all Big Ten, first team all Big Ten notice, is that he was so versatile, was that they did so many different things with him him in that prowler package that maybe the numbers in specific areas didn't uh, grab your eye but i think people fail to realize what he did across the board and he did it again and you know the other thing that really jumped out to me the halftime adjustments i mean i thought on both sides of the ball they came out and i thought they played well in the first half okay in the first half but I just thought the halftime adjustments were terrific. You know, they didn't get a sack until late in the first half. 
and they came out. I guess an argument could be made what would have happened if Cam Rising was okay. Uh, but my thought is that they were starting to get that pass rush dialed in. And the other thing is, you know, knock on wood, let's hope Cam Rising is okay. But I think when you're running that much against this defense, you're really putting yourself in harm's way. So it was sad to see him get banged up. We always like to see the great players stay out there for both teams. Uh, but ultimately, uh, you know, two key players stepping up, a bunch of other veterans doing good things, the opt-ins, and then the halftime adjustments were tremendous. You mentioned Rising. He finished the game 8 of 21 passing, 95 yards, had a touchdown, had an interception. Seemed like the way the game was starting to trend was that he was going to continue taking those physical licks, the, the defensive rotation that we talked about all season long with Penn State, the way they can filter guys in, especially in that front seven. That's going to wear down an offensive front. And it just felt like to me – um, they did have some nice moments from from that backfield. Jackson, in particular, with that touchdown run, rumbled through three or four uh, arm tackles. Penn State was not tackling well uh, throughout the first half of this game. Not necessarily something that's unique when teams step aside from live action for a month. Sometimes it takes th th that, that moment. But ultimately, just didn't feel like they were prepared to match Penn State from a playmaker standpoint. And from the Nenny Lions perspective, Daniel, Sean Clifford has been the trigger man for so long. This was start number 46. It's his job, and he always tells us it's his job to get the ball in the hands of guys who make it happen. They relied on the big play in a way that we hadn't necessarily seen them do over the course of this year. Uh, but let's start with the quarterback because you wrote about him. You woke up bright and early in Los Angeles to do a national radio hit about Clifford because the dynamics have changed versus where we were coming out of October to where we are starting January. He's rewritten the narrative a little bit as he put the finishing touches on his story. Yeah, I mean, like Mark said, Sean was someone who came into the, this game without really that signature win on his resume. You know, he never beaten Ohio State. Those Michigan games at this point were a long time ago. One was during COVID. Um, and he really came out uh, last night and did what he needed to do and just did it really well. I mean, obviously, the big plays stand out. You know, the 88-yarder to Keandre Lambert-Smith, which was just – a really, really nicely executed play in the backfield with the play fake, then the, the little half pump fake, you know, letting Lambert Smith get open in the space and then delivering a perfect ball. But I thought that the drive in the first half that um, ended with the 10-yard touchdown pass to Mitchell Tinsley, that's kind of, I think that was a version of Clifford that we hadn't really seen that much this year in terms of the assertiveness and really just putting the ball in some tight windows. He had that 20-yard completion to Harrison Wallace um, on third down. I think believe it was third down to move the chains. Um, just a very, very nice ball. On the first touchdown drive, he hit Theo Johnson up the seam for 28 yards. Another really good throw and catch, taking advantage of uh, of what Utah was giving them right there. Um, you know, I just thought Clifford really rose to the occasion. You know, he looked the part of a big-time quarterback on the big stage. And I know a lot of Penn State fans would have liked to see that more often than maybe it happened over the past four years. But I think that he he leaves with a win. And, you know, it, it can be kind of uh, hard to talk about legacy and those conversations can get a little tired. But I think given what he has accomplished in his career, um, he has something tangible now to go with those numbers. It's not a Big Ten title. It's not a national championship. It's not a college playoff berth. But it is a win in the Rose Bowl. And I think that's a very nice and just kind of cool thing to have on your resume. Let's remember where we were October 22nd back in Beaver Stadium <laughs> when Sean Clifford was hearing the boos and 
I mean, if you hadn't picked up on it, that pissed off a lot of people in, in Penn State's facilities. And maybe that was part of the reason why they were able to, to kind of rally and get to, to the finish line strong. Of course, after the Ohio State matchup where you can easily point and spotlight those turnovers as a determining factor and how the game uh, was, was, was lost control of by Penn State in the fourth quarter. But Clifford here down the stretch played some of the better football we've seen from him. You, those matchups were not intimidating in November, but you would look at how he finished out in Beaver Stadium um, the last couple of games as well. 35 of 46 against Michigan State and Utah combined. That's a 76% completion percentage the last couple of games. 481 yards through the air, six touchdowns, no turnovers. And I think most importantly, against the Utah defense that a lot of people respected coming into this game, particularly Penn State's coaching staff. When you look at how he performed, he was anticipatory against the defense that has really had its way with some impressive quarterbacks, or at least over the course of games was able to wear down some quarterbacks. It seemed like he knew what their next step was going to be, had an answer for it pre-snap, uh, and also just watching him kind of evade pressure. This wasn't a clean game for him in the pocket. And I thought even as he was under duress, Mark Brennan, what we saw from him was a quarterback who was under, under control. And it seems like he was the catalyst of sorts. There's probably a few to point to, including, including Tig Brown, J uh, PJ Mustafer. They were locked in this month and, and they checked that off just like we thought they might. We all picked Penn State. I think a big part of that was we were gravitating toward the buy-in and Sean Clifford, the way he played with a month to prepare, Sure seems like a guy who was fully prepared, whatever Utah wanted to toss his way. Cam rising aside, Utah's defense didn't have answers. Yeah, I thought there was a play, and I forget exactly when it was, when when Clifford just barely avoided being sacked and then rolled out and hit Keandre Lambert-Smith. You know, as impressive as the, the, the long touchdown was, you know, that's when you got to feel like, okay, you know, he's really on his game. One thing James Franklin said after the game that I thought, uh, you know, kind of resonated with me is that Utah played a lot of cover zero. So I think what that was telling you is that they were daring Sean Clifford to beat them and they weren't sure that he could. And ultimately, well, guess what? <laughs> he was able to do it and, and do it pretty effectively. And again, I don't think you could, you know, and, um, and we had, had an opportunity to talk to Drew Aller uh, at media day, whatever day that was, because they're all running together at this point. And, you know, when he talked about what he learned from Sean Clifford, you know, part of it is leadership, part of it's the way you handle yourself, but part of it is making those decisions at the line of scrimmage. And, you know, you needed a veteran to do that against that team. You know, I, I was one of the guys who said uh, they probably should have started Allard during that Minnesota game. And as I look back at it, I was wrong. And I'm not too proud to, to say that because I don't know that they come out of the, the – I don't want to call it a mess, but you lose two games in three weeks and they're the defining games of the season. Mm. And, you know, my thought at that time is, you know, maybe it is time to turn the page. But you know what? The coaches stuck with him. The players stuck with him. Drew Aller stuck with him. You know, and ultimately, I think the fans stuck with him, to, you know, as it kind of went on. They saw the way that he was playing. And then with respect to the opt-ins, I, I just we said it throughout this week. The vibe here from the players was so tremendously different than last year and understandably so. I mean, it was a crappy season last year. They're, they're coming off two crappy seasons. Uh, the Outback Bowl is a very good bowl. But obviously, it wasn't resonating with the with, with the the players. Uh, 
And, you know, just to have all of those players uh, who are going into the NFL draft, whether they're in their final year of eligibility, whether they're giving up their final year, I think says something. And I also thought it was pretty cool that Joey Porter showed up. You know, I mean, listen, I, I understand his decision. I wonder if he regrets it at this point. I know he won't regret it when he's signing a, you know, however long contract. But the fact that he was there, I think, speaks to to, to the fact that, yeah, I mean, the, the collective buy-in from this team, you know, I just I just think was something. And I didn't get a chance to ask James Franklin a question or or uh, Clifford and uh, Jair Brown at the podium because it was very limited. But one thing I would like to ask them at some point is, you know, your legacy is one thing, but what about where you left this program, given where it was last year, given where it was at the end of October? This could have gone a lot of different ways. This could have gone a lot of different ways for James Franklin in terms of, you know, we know how long his contract is, but I mean, in terms of the buy-in from fans and these veterans, they prevented it from going in a lot of different ways. So I think there's, I mean, I think that's big. And I was disappointed I didn't get an opportunity to ask that, but I bet you they're extremely proud of what they were able to do and where they left this program. Yeah, I just was going to say, I don't think it's just the last two years, but when we talked to P.J. Mustafer in late November, he reflected on what they had anticipated for their careers coming in in 2018 as members of that class. And, you know, quickly looking back at it, it's a top five unit. Um, you know, P.J. Mustafer is left from that class. Most of the guys have moved on. A bunch of them are making millions of dollars in the NFL. Nick Tarburton's one of them who's moving on. But he said they, they thought they'd leave with some Big Ten rings. I mean, they were coming in very quickly after a couple 11 win seasons, you know, two years, a year and a half removed from winning a big 10 championship. Um, And I know that that's to have that empty cupboard in terms of big 10 titles or college football playoff appearances. It's, it's, it's tough thing for a guy like PJ to internalize, but what he said rolling forward was when you hand off that baton now and you step away, they feel like they're in a really exciting place. And he said it, uh, he, you know, he said, quote, I'll be pissed uh, if these guys don't win Big Ten championships, don't get that college football playoff appearance. And, Daniel, we can go in a lot of different directions, and I want to talk about some of the guys that Sean Clifford was looking toward. Uh, first off, if, if you had a thought picking up on where Mark left it, let's go there. But but secondarily, Nick Singleton is, is kind of that figure, one of those figures that represent the future here who was on display in Pasadena. Yeah, I would just go back to some of the things that Jair Brown was saying back uh, in November when Penn State was going for its ninth, ninth win, going for its tenth win, and he was really reflecting all this time leading into senior day because he's someone who he got here in 2020, so he is coming in on the heels of the three 11 win seasons in four years, the Cotton Bowl, um, and then his first two years he didn't even get a taste of any of that um, like some of those other guys did, and I think that for him. You know, it, it really did mean a lot um, to him to, to leave this program and this state and also just for him individually, given his journey. Um, you know, I kind of joked with him, uh, I guess that was on Friday, where it's like, all right, Jair, we're asking you that question again. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're, we're another step closer. What, what's this been like, you know, going back to been asking him the same question since Indianapolis uh, five months ago? Um, so I think that 
he is someone who, you know, really wanted this game. And I think it showed in how he played. But I mean, with Nick Singleton, uh, you know, sometimes I'm right. Uh, before the game, we were down on the sideline and I posted a picture of Nick Singleton and said that I felt like I was expecting a, a big day from him. Uh, I said it on the podcast pregame and, um, you know, he only needed seven carries to get those two touchdowns, uh, which was uh, just another really impressive day from him. Um, I think that what he did yesterday really kind of solidifies what we've been talking about him as that five-star talent who can really just change a play, uh, you know, on a dime, you know, it only takes one play. Um, you know, that run that he had, the left side of the offensive line did a great job opening a hole. Theo Johnson finished it off. I think Singleton might have thrown a little stiff arm in there. I, I give I give Nick Singleton about 30, 25% credit for that defender going down. Theo Johnson, the rest of it. And that was the only contact that Nick made with the defender on the run. And then once all, he got all game. <laughs> yeah, all game. <laughs> and then he was gone. Like, yeah. it was... You know, he had so much green out in front of him, and you just knew that, that no one was going to catch him. And it's been a long time since Penn State has, has had that in the running game, um, and I think that that really showed him in a big way. I mean, that's the type of guy in these types of games, when you get into the New Year Six, when you get into the college football playoff, that you need um, guys that can really lift the level, make things happen on their own, uh, and, and Singleton showed that. So. I feel like he'd done a pretty good job of making himself a known quantity throughout the college football world uh, throughout the year. Um, the Auburn game was obviously really big for him, but I think that this might have kind of taken it to another level. Um, and I know that Tyler, you talked to G Scruggs after the game and hmm. he definitely thinks so. Yeah. I said, what, what does the future look like? And Juice said, I see a Heisman and, and I, We'll say this now. This is the beauty of talking to guys who are leaving the program, and maybe you know. There's a little more cautious uh, approach, I think, with guys who, who are kind of going to be within the locker room moving forward. They don't want to necessarily put that on guys, but um, I think Juice Scruggs kind of speaks for probably a lot of people, even if they're not going to tell us on the record how they feel about Nick Singleton. And the tricky part here is that you—it's not a tricky part. It's a beautiful thing. It's a luxury, but you've got Katron Allen, who's going to be a piece of the puzzle here. Thousand-yard rusher, Nick Singleton. He's only the second freshman to do that in Penn State history. Uh, Saquon Barkley was the other true freshman to do that. But when you look at what he was able to accomplish, it didn't require more than 17 carries in 12 of 13 games. So you're talking about uh, – you look across the country and you say, wow, this freshman did a great job. Dig a little bit deeper into those stats, and you might see the guy was taxed for 25 to 30 touches per game. What does that mean for him going into next year? What does that mean for him coming out of junior year? And Penn State's always done a really good job, it seems, of balancing guys, getting them off to the NFL without a ton of that that tread on their tire, at least in the, in the modern era of Penn State football. They did it with Saquon. They certainly did it with Miles Sanders. And, and oh, by the way, first time a, a running back has gone over 1,000 yards uh, since Miles Sanders did it back in 2018. Mark, you've covered so many tremendous running backs with this program, a bunch of whom selected very highly in the NFL draft. Uh, we've been talking about it since you showed up into Happy Valley in January. Every step of the way, the feedback is the kid's a pro. He's going to put himself in a position. It got confirmed that he was going to be a key part of this roster. He's starting by the end of September, and now he's getting 120 yards and a couple touchdowns. He had that five-yard run to start things off late in the first quarter in terms of points. Seven touches to get all that done. Where do you think it goes from here for Nick, and how maybe would you compare his early progress to those you've seen in the past? Well, most of the guys I saw in the past 
didn't play as true freshmen. Kajana Carter actually was was thinking about transferring after his freshman year, if you could believe that. That was just a different era. But before Saquon, I would say Kajana, who you know had a, a long run of his own in the Rose Bowl uh, for a touchdown, which is a great story in its own right, because as, as our friend Goon would tell us, uh, the offensive line blocked all the wrong people on that play in the 94 Rose Bowl, and Kajana somehow sprung it. Uh, but, you know, he was a 7.8 yard, uh, yard per carry guy in 94, 7.2 for his career. Nick is at, what, 6.7, 6.8 this year? 6.8 finished that. Th those are, like, huge numbers. Mm -hmm. Like, if you go and look at the great Penn State running backs, what, once you get up, there, there aren't many over six. I don't know if you could bring it up. Uh, but that is special territory. Uh, to me, Saquon has been the best running back so far. One, because he was playing with a, a not-so-great offensive line. Uh, two, because he was a dominant return man. And three, because he was an awesome receiver as well. He did all of those things. So to me, it's, it's Saquon, it's Kajana, and you could probably toss those two up. I know other people have other feelings. There have been other great backs. But from the ones I cover, those are the ones I liked. <clears throat> One thing after the game that I thought was really cool, I don't know if you guys got a chance to see it on Brennan Cam, but I'm telling you, people, watch this Brennan Cam. There is a moment where LeVar Arrington hugs uh, Singleton, and I was able to hear what he was saying. He said, you're a bad man. You're <laughs> oh, man. A, and that's a takeoff of Ali after he beat Sonny Liston when he said, I'm a bad man. Um, but so, so LeVar has an appreciation and then, uh, LeVar was, had, <laughs> I, he had his hall of fame ring on, which I, I guess if I'm in the hall of fame, I'd be wearing that yeah. everywhere that I could go to. And, uh, Singleton looks down at the ring and LeVar said, you're going to get you one of these. You're going <laughs> to get you one of these. I mean, it, it is a pretty cool moment. I have to, I have to like cut that out and stick it somewhere on social media. I'll let the intern handle that. Things were so busy, but you know that's what you're talking about. Lavar Arrington just doesn't go over to people and say that kind of thing. I mean, he's a straight shooter. He's a great guy, but uh, what is it? Greatness knows greatness, or whatever mm -hmm. it is. Uh, yeah, that's that's what we're talking about. That's the level. But one other thing on this, and I see where you brought Katron Allen up. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at the stats. You know, Singleton, seven carries, Catron, 11 carries. So Catron, there were many games where he was getting more carries. And, uh, you know, so I, I think there is a way to keep both of these guys happy, keep them healthy. Uh, and, you know, to me, I guess the wild card here, here is what's going to happen with Kevon Lee. Uh, but in terms of those two guys, you know, it, it seems like they have a pretty good working relationship. Both of them talked about being friends. Both of them talked about uh, working together well in the running back room. And I think this is another area where we really have to give a shout out to J. Juan Sider for mm -hmm. number one, being a great recruiter. Number two, being able to balance this kind of talent. Nick Singleton on the season, 156 carries. Catron Allen, 167. So there you go. And Catron finished with more starts on the year. Both of these guys uh, finished with Big Ten uh, Player of the Weeks. Of course, Singleton was the Big Ten Freshman of the Year. You want to talk about building that uh that hall of fame resume someday young man that's a hell of a start year one you're the big 10 freshman of the year you score 14 touchdowns in doing so you set a penn state record 
And then you go 87 for one of your two touchdowns in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, 14 on how many carries? Uh, you do that. Not, yeah. Who, who knows math? Who knows how to do that, the math stuff? <laughs> yeah. It, That's it, a touchdown every however many carries, and it's not many. Yeah, it, it, and, and the impressive thing is Singleton scored those in three different ways as a receiver, as a kick returner, as a rusher. Really excited to see what goes on for him. And Katron Allen finishing his season with 11 touchdowns in his own right. That would have been a Penn State freshman record. Uh, and by the way, there were like no rushing touchdowns from the running back position last year. These two guys alone had 24, 24 rushing touchdowns combined. So it, it's really going to be special to see how it moves forward because I know the conversation is about Drew Aller and here he comes and, and he's going to be a bad man too and everyone wants to buy into that. But the weapons that, that you have in place around him are really special. And, and, and forget the weapons for a second. How about the big fellas? I was hoping that maybe James Franklin would open his uh, first statement of this game and be like, I'm ready to talk about the offensive line. We'll get there with him. He'll he'll eventually give us the the, the rise of this group in 2020. That was a terrible post-game situ situation. I'll, we, we can get into it on another <laughs> podcast, but very disappointed in the way that went. If Mark Brennan's not getting a question of James Franklin and he's sitting in front of him at the Rose Bowl, it, it clearly didn't work out as it's supposed well, to. Well, I just – they had people in different areas. I mean, it just th – that was not – that was less than ideal. Well, we all live in town. We'll be back to you know we'll I'm be sorry. back face to face. I had to get that off my players. chest. All right. Uh, we'll we'll get back of it. We'll we'll talk to these guys again soon. But Daniel, getting back to to the offensive front because it, it wasn't Olu Fashionu, which we were expecting down to the wire. We didn't see him on the practice field. Haven't seen him since October in terms of practice action when we've gotten looks. So look, Drew Sheldon, fifth start in a row at left tackle. Caden Wallace back on the field. Bryce Eppner got the start there, but. I think it's fair to say they were back into a really equal share rotation. I got to check out the snap counts, but Caden Walsh is out there for a big stretch in the third quarter and fourth quarter when they're putting up a bunch of points. Um, he's back. We talked about that last episode. The only guy from this mix that we know is gone is Juice Scruggs, the starting center. Um, and, and Bryce Seffner, we're not quite sure on that. He's one of those names we got to figure things out with. I mean, what do you think about this? Because like you, like you, and like Nick Singleton did, very much crediting his offensive line. The left guy, left side of that line, got it done on his run. James Franklin had the confidence in this offense that he could get the crease with Nick Singleton. They had uh, the kind of setup we saw, looking to the sideline, showing some confusion like they did in the, in the Fiesta Bowl with Saquon a few years back, and they got him. Uh, you got to have an offensive line that can handle those kind of assignments and handle those responsibilities. And I just feel like the play calling reflects that confidence. And with a month to get into this game really showed, I think, where they think they can go and what they think they are right now with this group. I, I think we're all waiting for that James Franklin victory lap. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can take it. On the offensive line, and we'll, you know, we'll let it last as long as it needs to. It can be three laps uh, if, if he wants it to be. Um, the offensive line, just it, I felt like it played very well. Um, it just came along so nicely. And when you spin things ahead to next year, it just feels like it's in such a good place. Uh, we talked about it earlier this year where – in 2021, it felt like the offensive line could only go six deep, where Bryce Effner was the only guy that they felt really comfortable with bringing in. Feels like a long <laughs> time ago, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. And then this year, you were able to go seven deep with Effner and then the addition of Hunter Norzad. And now when you look ahead to next year, even if Effner leaves with Juice leaving, you have these younger guys that got valuable experience where someone like Drew Shelton, uh, it you know immediately pencils in as as the one of the first guys off the bench. Um, you know you had some guys like JD Nelson and Vanga Ioane, um who got reps this year. Like it it feels like next year maybe they can go eight deep. You know 
you're never going to be able to get a real too deep across an offensive line at any level of football just because they don't make that many men that large uh, that can do those types of things, and it's hard to get that many people in one place. But I think what Phil Trowine has done is just build a room that has really come along, uh, that is flexible, um, that's you know big and strong, and I think that it really shows. Um, you know, as good as Nick Singleton is, as good as Katrine Allen is, um, I think that having this offensive line play the way it did this year, it, it just made them that much better. It allowed them to do that many more things. And I think that this future is really bright. You know, we were kind of waiting for it to kick in the gear. And I think that what you saw this year, especially when you look at it in the context of Drew Shelton being able to come in as a freshman, what they were saying about Venga Ioane as a freshman, and then looking at this next incoming group, mm-hmm. class of 2023, and what the expectations are, um, it, it's easy to feel good about the offensive line right now. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As we were kind of just bringing up the speed on the status of some guys from a health standpoint and and, and fashion new and, and with Caden Wallace, um, we did not see Kevon Lee on the field. We were under, you know, un, we, our understanding was he was available to play. That's what James Franklin said heading into the matchup. He ultimately was did not play for the for the remaining uh, seven games of this uh, season after he played against Michigan back in mid October. Um, so some, certainly some questions about him heading into year number four at the college level with those two freshman running backs. But there's also a question about if he were to move on. You're in an interesting spot here because you've got a couple freshmen coming in. One's coming off an injury. Neither are on campus until the summer. So Akivon Lee is a name to monitor again moving forward. And by the time you hear this podcast, maybe he has gone public with what he wants to do. That's kind of where we're at with this week moving forward. Could you clear up the four-game situation with him, too? Because there was some confusion on the message board about that, that some people were suggesting he didn't play Mm. due to the retro, but the rule has changed in that. Right, and and he was already at five, five, so so it's a moot point. Yeah, he played in the first five games. Remember, he started, uh, I believe, the first two, scored the game-winning touchdown in the first one. Uh, If he was on that four-game seesaw, there's a – The retro wasn't in play. The retro wasn't in play, but yeah. So, yeah, that's not going to be a situation for Kevon Lee. Um, But we won't spend much time on him because it's the Rose Bowl and he didn't – factor into it and and so I, you know, I, 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 that's no offense to Kevon. it's just that, Sorry, that's where the, that's where the focus is right now and, and and somebody who we were wondering would they answer the bell have a moment and and he did against Michigan State and he did again against Utah was Keandre Lambert Smith finishing off his third year on campus as well um he's still got a lot to answer for especially because I know 
um, in his mind and, and where he wants to be in 2023, it's going to be the leading receiver for this team. Not to say that he's going to elbow other guys out of the way, but I think he sees himself as taking that next step. And I mean, it's hard to argue with the way he finished and a big chunk of it, of course, this three catch 124 yard, one touchdown performance was an 88 yard touchdown. Rose Bowl history here for Penn State's offense. First time you've had a team go 80-plus touchdown, 80-plus uh, through the air and on the ground. Mark, you have you know pretty pointedly talked about Keandre Lambert-Smith needing to take that step. You mentioned it a couple times going into this game. Uh, he, he checked it off the box in a big way, and he showed off that playmaking ability. Yeah, and all credit to him. You know, hey, things got real for, for him. You know, that Penn State was very vocal that that wide receiver was a spot that they had to address in the transfer portal. And sure enough, they did address it in the transfer portal with Devin Clark or Devin Carter. I'm sorry. But, yeah, I mean, I think when you when you hear that, you know, you know, Parker Washington's moving on, you know, Mitchell Tinsley's moving on. And now they're saying they need to address wide receiver in the portal. You know, I think maybe that maybe he took that as a little bit of a challenge that it's time for me to finally step up. Listen, the talent's always been there, right? The speed, uh, the, the pass catching ability, uh, the moves. Uh, it's just a consistency that's not been. And I think as I look at this game, you know, ob- you know, clearly Clifford playing well was huge for them. But I think the fact that Keandre Lambert Smith stepped up and made and it wasn't just that you know he made multiple nice catches, uh, key catches in that game. I think he was one of the guys who really benefited from uh, being able to get things done on this sort of big stage. It's one thing to do something against the Michigan State team that's struggling. It's another one, another thing to do it in a game like this where you basically, you know, deliver the dagger against a top ten opponent. So good for him. You know, I'm, I'm guessing, knowing the way this coaching staff operates, I'm guessing they challenged him. You know, in a good way. Oh, no, Taylor no. Stubblefield has yeah. done it publicly, uh, repeatedly. Yeah. So I'd imagine behind closed doors, from what I understand about Stubblefield, now he coaches. There have been some very open conversations. But isn't it good when you see a kid respond like this to to, to that? So of course. I think all of a sudden now you have a guy. Now he's he he's getting it done on the field. Is he going to be able to step up as a leader in this room? We've all we've all had an opportunity to talk mm-hmm. to him. Very smart kid, very well spoken, very very well spoken. But leadership's not always an easy thing. But to me, that's the next important step in his development with the guys who are moving on. We have more on this at lines247.com from the night of the Rose Bowl. We had some some transfer portal news of, of all times to get it, by the way. Uh, but they are bringing in Devin Carter from NC State, uh, an experienced wide receiver, played a lot for the Wolfpack. We'll get to him and and, and some of the other transfer stuff later on in the week as we kind of uh, you know settle in after the Bulls discussion. But there is help on the way at wide receiver. We know that. And Keandre Lambert-Smith, though, and his potential emergence, major storyline here. And I can tell you, speaking with him after the game, exuding confidence, he said it was very important for him to cross off on his personal list that first 100-yard receiving game. Um, this is the end of his third full season on campus. This is a guy who I know showed up on campus thinking he was going to put up some big numbers and, and build off of them. Um, he kind of flirted with that a little bit last year, but uh, goes for 124 in this matchup. As we said, a, a bulk of that. Um, but Daniel, this is going to be key off the field. He said Drew Aller is someone he needs to spend a ton of time with. He wants to build that chemistry. He said the same thing about Bo Prabula. Um, but, but he really said this is an offseason where – He's gonna. You know, he thinks they can win a national championship. He thinks that he can be a central figure in that, a leading receiver in that, 
And sounds like a guy who coming off of this and, and from what we understand, someone who really requires a level of confidence coming off of this sounds like he wants to start like Tuesday morning. Hey, Drew, let's go have a catch, um, which is great news for Keandre Lambert. And it's fantastic news for this receiver room. Maybe they've already gotten some reps in. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. I think that when you look at the, when you look at this team moving forward, wide receiver is kind of the, the big question mark right now um, on offense. <clears throat> Obviously, in a way, Aller is a question mark because anytime you have a first-time starter, um, you know you need to know how he's going to respond. But you know, just from a personnel perspective, looking at the numbers at wide receiver, who's there? You know, Keandre Lambert Smith is is the guy coming back, um, and I think this should be a good springboard for him. Uh, you know, James Franklin said it after the game that you know this probably hasn't gone the way that he thought it did this year. I think Keandre said it himself back in November when we were on Zoom with him that this isn't really how he envisioned his third year. Um, last year, uh, Taylor Stubblefield had talked kind of about um, Keandre needing to continue this sort of linear progression, um, and that didn't happen this year. But I think that if he can take this type of performance and, and really spin it forward, um, I think that that really bodes well for, for Penn State. Um, I mean, even beyond the, the big 88-yard touchdown, I thought that one of my favorite plays of the game was, I think it was a 32-yarder where Clifford is rolling out to his left, throws across his body, and Lambert Smith is able to be open on the sideline and pull it in. Um, that sort of off-schedule play uh, by a wide receiver who, um, you know, we, we've talked about, you know, needing to have confidence, really needing to be engaged. I think it was really, really big. Um, and I think that if you're seeing that type of play from Keandre Lambert-Smith, you know, that shows that he's, he's locked in. Um, he's part of the offense and, and he's really able to make plays there. So, you know, I liked what I saw out of him uh, last night, the Michigan State game. You know, we kind of talked about it like, all right, is this actually the springboard for him? And it looks like that he did take a lot from that. And it looks like he's building on that. That was the other thing Keandre and I discussed was like just stringing together games right now because that has been tough for him to do. It's been a game and then not a disappearing act, but kind of a non-factor situation in terms of the box score and production for two or three games. Then it might pop up. This was back-to-back -back games. And just to put it in context, guys, through his first 11, through the first 11 games, he did miss one of those 11 games of this season. 16 catches, 182 yards, two touchdowns in the final two games of the season for Keandre Lambert-Smith eight catches for 207 yards, two touchdowns. So uh, there's a lot to build off and like about the way he finished. Uh, you got things to build off with Harrison Wallace, but there are so many unknown commodities. Liam Clifford got uh, some significant run in the Rose Bowl. We saw uh, Caden Saunders gain some experience in a setting like that, which is going to help him out. Uh, but that tight end room, let, let, let's quickly look there before we shift gears and, and focus on some defensive success in the, in the Rose Bowl. You had Tyler Warren come up with another grab on, on his lone target of the day for 15 yards. Um, you had Theo Johnson do something that he's just been doing a bunch of. It's six times now in seven games where he goes for 25-plus on a reception. That's not normal for the tight end position. And Theo has been a guy that even if it's not a, a big volume for him, he's been a splashy playmaker at a position that's usually light on those kind of guys. Brenton Strange held out of the stat sheet uh, in his final game in a Nittany Lions uniform. Of course, he's contributing as a blocker. We all know how effective he was there. But I think this peeled back the curtain a little bit on the future at tight end. And just, again, reiterating, Theo Johnson does things at tight end that are very much valued. And I want to reemphasize, 
he's a guy we got to wait on. I, I don't know when you're listening to this podcast, yeah. but I am personally just want to double check. I think I know that. I think I know where Theo's leaning. I think we'll be covering him in 2023. He 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 mentioned as such as some of our colleagues who reported that. Um, but I'm just not convinced until I see it because he's a tantalizing prospect. Yeah, I also think that he was banged up early in the year. I mean, mm-hmm. we barely saw him early in the season. But once he started producing, boy, was he producing. And I just wonder if he's one of these guys, if he gets an entire season on tape for for pro scouts. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, you know, Daniel has mentioned this, that I think whenever he goes to the combine, you know, he's going to be a guy who tests extremely well because he's bigger than, than you imagine people. I mean, if you've not been by him, I mean, he's, what, 6'6 and 265, 270. And it's like legit. And he runs extremely well for that size. So wh- whenever he goes yeah. to the combine, he's going to test well. And he will interview extremely. That's, that's yeah. You might wonder about okay, he's a sophomore. Is he yeah. ready to sit across from an NFL scout or an NFL general manager? Yes. Yeah, he would be. And, and I still think, though, to your point, full year of film, he might be tight end. I mean, I think there's a very right. good chance he's tight end one. Although, you know, there's a very good one down in Athens, Georgia. Right, right. But that that's my point. Even if you're in that top one or two, mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're talking about guys who have an opportunity to go in the first round. Yeah. I mean, if, as, as I look at this team and who's coming back next year, and you look at the NFL potential, and, and this is, a, a, I'm sure, fodder for another podcast, but, I mean, he's got to be right up there kind of toward the top of the list. I mean, obviously, Olu is going to be there. Uh, but I just... Yeah, from from the physical standpoint, uh, from the the athleticism, and from the intelligence. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm for our sake. I'm hoping he comes back because I think it'll be fun to cover him for another year. Uh, but whatever decision he makes is going to be what's best for him. But uh, he is that caliber. And then, you know, I don't. I expected more out of Tyler Warren this year, uh, and I think. That he was, was injuries are definitely yeah, a factor. He there. was banged up, and and I listen. I completely get it. They don't want to share in, info on injuries, and, and nor should they. I, I think you're making a mistake if you do that because you're only giving the opponent uh, an advantage. But he was able to grind his way through, and I still stand by that. If he's when he's a hundred percent, he has a chance to be an NFL caliber receiver too. Now you know where do you go after that with Jerry Cross and Khalil Dinkins? Uh, have didn't see much, if, if any, of, of either of them this, of, of them this year. Uh, I think there's potential there. We're just not positive. But I think to have – if you're able to start with that too, with the uh, – if, if your nucleus is Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren, I think there are much worse places to start from. And check this. As of right now, as things stand, they would have two tight ends coming back who, who had 10-plus catches in, in Tyler Warren and Theo Johnson. That's what the wide receiver room has coming back, two players who have 10-plus catches this year. So, tight, I mean, you think about how many guys are in the tight end room versus how many guys are in the wide receiver room. You're in a good spat from experience. I think Dinkins has made the progress. So has Jerry Cross as a freshman. And they've got one of the best tight end classes in the country. And I think Andrew Rapley is the kind of maybe early impact player uh, that could that could work his way. But looking back to Monday night, because here we are on a Tuesday after, after and we're already like, okay, 2023, 2023, this is the nature of things. Um, but the way things capped off, I mean, we, we've made it a long way before getting to, to how this defense performed and of course giving up two touchdowns in the second quarter uh when we saw these teams go back and forth it was four consecutive possessions that resulted in touchdowns but it felt like when penn state was able to step up produce a splash in that third quarter in the form of nick singleton who by the way again theo johnson big block on that i didn't even mention what he did as a blocker on that play 
But when you look forward and, and it felt like they were starting to beat up Utah, particularly the quarterback, they physically really did it and knocked him out of the game. Um, but it, it felt like outside of a few runs, they were the superior opponent on the perimeter, on the edge. And Utah was left trying to fend for itself in the middle of the field like we thought they were going to try to attack. And Penn State, after a, a couple quarters of missed tackles, bludgeoned their way to taking control of this thing with a big help from the offensive plays. It did feel like that Penn State, it was going to be a matter of time before they started getting home on Cam Rising. There were some plays early on. Uh, you know, Cam Rising was also pretty slippery in the pocket. He was able to, to get out, gain some yards with his legs, um, which ultimately came back to bite him a little bit. But it did feel like guys like Adisa Isaac, Chop Robinson, um, you know, there was going to be pressure. I mean, Jair Brown, fantastic blitzer, um, you know, someone who was – you had a one and a half sacks, but definitely could have had two and a half or, or even three and a half with, with some of the plays he made in the backfield. Curtis. Can't forget Curtis Jacobs' is two sacks. He didn't know he had two he sacks. He didn't know he had two I, sacks. I keep forgetting he had two sacks. <laughs> um, but he was very – so just the backstory I, I asked Curtis. So two sacks, how do you, what's that performance like? He said, I had two sacks? And these are the fun things you can do when you're face to face again that you can really do a lot on Zoom. And I'm like, yeah, and he was so excited. And I was like, congrats, man. <laughs> His face lit up. So I mean, and 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 another guy we just don't know yet. Maybe you do by the time you hear this, maybe we all do. But Curtis Jacobs, I mean, if you were looking for a guy to, to to kind of, hey, look what I can do in a big stage, he was able to get that done. Although I will say it wasn't a clean performance from Curtis. I think he left some things out there as Utah was running the ball, but a couple sacks and, and some action in the backfield. They definitely left something to be desired from a tackling perspective uh, from Penn State, but with a, a month-long layoff, mm -hmm. you know, there's you know maybe some footing, and also I mean Jaquindon Jackson and, and Makai Bernard were both pretty good running backs. They they were fun to watch when when they got into space, but you know I thought that the the Penn State defense played really well. You saw that secondary that even without Joey Porter Jr. Um, I think Kalen King announced himself a little bit as as a player to know. Um, he made a great play, diving catch on an interception where you know he ran the route almost better than the wide receiver did. He also had a, a good tackle on a third down uh, to stop a wide receiver short of the sticks. Um, he's a he's a pretty excellent open field tackler. I mean, we, we're going to talk so much about the coverage numbers, and that was the big story with Joey. I think if you're going to make a case for him being a more complete cornerback, that's probably where the conversation starts. The, the job that I keep going back to that Ohio State game uh, where – Ohio State kept trying to do the bubble screens to Emeka mm -hmm. and Kalen King was just rocketing it up, uh, rocketing up past the line of scrimmage, getting him behind the backfield. I think there was one game at one point in the game, Aguka had like three catches for two yards or, or, or something along those lines. But yeah, I think that Kalen King is a really complete cornerback um, at that size, 5'11, 189. I don't necessarily know if NFL scouts look at that, like, like cornerback one type frame but i think that it's hard to argue with this production and also just with watching the tape um what what he's able to do so you know i thought that it was a really good um and you know we we saw kind of all the different parts of the defense that have shined at different part times this year all kind of showed up had their moment and when i look at that the possession chart here for utah they had that big seven plus minute touchdown drive, which was coming off an interception that led to a Penn State touchdown. You're thinking, that's a really nice response from Utah. They seem like they're settled in. Um, they took 13 plays to do it. Again, when you're going half a quarter of work on offense, made me wonder, okay, is Penn State going to get punched in the mouth here? 
in a way that we haven't seen since October? And how are they going to respond defensively? And Mark, a big part of this to me was their ability to play with 20 to 24 deep. And we've seen it since week one. Uh, Jalen Reed goes off the field, returns in a sling. I think by the end of the first quarter, he's wearing a sling on his right arm. Bad way to end the season for a sophomore who played the second most snaps at safety. Kaelin King was out of the picture for a little bit. In fact, on a drive where Utah had some success downfield. Um, but it felt like you could go too deep at every position and feel like you were okay. And that added up, I felt like, as the game progressed, specifically when you lose a playmaker at quarterback like Utah did. And depth to me, the the complete performance. I know you can spotlight some some really strong individual play, but that's been the story since week one and, and under Manny Diaz as they've continued to get better. It's just a collection collective effort. Yeah, I mean, Johnny Dixon also had to come off for, for a couple of snaps right. too. So as thin as they were at cornerback, you know, that makes you, you know, again, that much more impressive. You know, you look at the numbers and the uh, time of possession was just ridiculous in, in Utah's favor. But I still think, you know, and I wrote this, that I thought they went away from the run, especially when Rising was hurt. Mm. I mean, it, it, when you adjust for sacks, so for people who don't know, uh, sack numbers in college football, the numbers come away from the rushing total. Which is different than the NFL, and I, I think that's I think that's a dumb way to do it. Yeah, it's dumb. yeah. So if you take away the sacks, which is a big if, but uh, adjusted for sacks, the Utes average six point one yards per carry. Okay, when adjusted for sacks, so if you counted the sack yardage against the passing yardage, the way the NFL does, which is the way everybody should do it, Utah averaged three point six yards per pass attempt. And, you know, my thought is that if you have a chance of beating this Penn State defense, and what did what did Michigan do? I mean, Michigan ran the ball like crazy and was the one team that was really able to, to wear them out. And I'm not suggesting that Utah could have blown out Penn State, but I think they could have made it more competitive uh, by grinding and grinding and grinding and hoping that Penn State would get tired. Mm. Daniel mentioned earlier, and, and you touched on it, some of the issues with the, with tackling – uh, you know, I, and then I wonder if they got so if Utah Penn State didn't get a sack, I don't think, until late in the first half. And then they come through with five in the second half and they clearly figured something out. And then when the backup quarterback was in there, that guy couldn't move at all. So he was done. Uh, I just think they got away. They have good running backs. I thought they got away from the run. Uh, but having said all that, what you're saying is exactly right. I mean, Manny Diaz and James Franklin were committed to playing a lot of players early in the game or early in the season on defense. We saw it at Purdue. We saw it at Auburn. We saw it in all those early season games. You know, the Purdue game was close, and they were running second and third team guys out there and late James, in the game. And afterward, James said, get used to it. Yep, and and we did, and, and it paid off. And, you know, I just think the job Manny Diaz did this year – I thought was tremendous. I thought the job, I thought the, the whole coaching staff, I mean, really, you could, you could look at guys, you know, your to me was a guy who was deservedly under some fire. And as the season went along, it all came together. Uh, Trout wine obviously was under fire that came together, but over on defense, you know, the impact that Manny Diaz had uh, just with the overall aggressiveness of that group. And, and the willingness to go deep and play a lot of guys. I just, I really like that. And, and I thought it served them well. They've got two 
successful coordinators in place right now. And I wasn't sure if you'd be able to apply that label to Mike Yersich halfway through the season, just like we weren't sure how Penn State would respond yeah. to some of that adversity. And if you want to talk about maybe a, a, a figure within this program, at least from my perspective, who I'm viewing from a different lens here in, in January 2023 than I was before the season or after last season um, or halfway through this one, it's Mike Yersich, what he was able to do and, and, and adjust and tailor things toward this, the newer strengths of this offense that weren't strengths of this offense last year. Um, and and you got to give him some credit for you know, whether it was comfortable or not or whether it was always an easy decision for him or not, his commitment and his relationship with Sean Clifford. And I think that was a huge role in the last few weeks in making sure we saw a, such a polished Sean Clifford because uh, when you're putting out an offense in the Rose Bowl and you're a coordinator – you want to make sure you're proud of what yeah. what ends up there, and, and it's a big moment for for his career. I think that the, that the, the the second half of the season for Mike Yersich, and he'll be now have a launch pad situation for him and his career at still a relatively young age because they got a lot of exciting pieces, national star type players, eyeballs on this offense, a lot of NFL scouts watching this offense, and you're gonna have this you know fancy shiny five star prospect stepping up that you personally recruited to camp. Uh, to campus um so there's a lot in place and i just wanted to make sure we took some time like you said to, to acknowledging the coaching staff as a whole uh, we've been critical of mike yersich at times on this podcast and i think it's been warranted during those times but you've always said you want to see what it looks like you want to see it with more time and a lot of the conversation has been you want to see what it looks like when it's with the quarterback that he has brought to campus yep. drew's not here without mike yersich and you want to give them the ch a chance and i think ultimately the way they finished out with sean clifford and with some of these young emerging pieces it gives you a lot of optimism of where it could be heading. And um, Daniel, as we finish up the conversation here, we have so much to, to kind of look back on still from this past season, things we're going to look ahead toward. Uh, it's going to be a fun part of the calendar here on the podcast and with our coverage because we get some time to sit down, catch our breath, and, and expand on things. But uh, in this game, unsung moments, unsung heroes, um, beyond the fact that we all freaking love Pasadena and and – can't wait to get back there for another Rose Bowl. Absolutely live up to the hype. What are you taking away in your back pocket as we get toward moving back to the East Coast here? Yeah, I think I just go to the fact that, that Penn State has reestablished itself and, and found its footing. Um, you, you talk a lot about where it was after 2019 and the steps back and trying to get back to that point. And I, I do feel like that they're there. Um, and now that the the big key is you have to you have to make that happen. You know, you you're really, I mean, they are setting the expectations very high for themselves. Um, and I think that's what you want. You want this team to, to believe that what they're capable of accomplishing. But I also think that they kind of know what's ahead, that there's a kind of a, a level of, of seriousness about what they need to do to um, accomplish these things. Um, Neo Johnson on last week had, had a good comment where he, he agrees that there can they can accomplish big things, but he also said that there's a mentality that that goes into it now. Where if you want to, you've gotten this far, but it's so hard to break into that next tier um, that it's going to take a lot of work, and you have to want it, and you have to really you know put that in. So um, I think that that was kind of a, a big takeaway that um, you know this Rose Bowl win is is really nice, and that it's something that they really wanted, but. At the same time, I think that they know that they're capable of a little bit more, and I think that they really believe that they can do that. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, but overall, I just thought it was a 
it was a good game that kind of hit a lot of the beats of the season. Um, kind of like what I just talked about with the defense, where it seemed like each position group kind of had its moment. Um, you had the pass rush getting home. Um, you had the linebackers making a couple good plays. You had Jair Brown getting an interception in his final game, which he knew meant a lot to him. You had Kalen King making a play. You had a big Nick Singleton play. Uh, you you kind of had you know, the, the hits, so to speak, from the season. Um, and I thought that that kind of made for a, a pretty complete and comprehensive performance. Um, you know, I, I don't really think that the Cam Rising injury is that big of an asterisk. I thought that Penn State was starting to pull away, and maybe it's still a 14-point game if Cam Rising doesn't get hurt, but I don't think there's garbage time uh, if, if he doesn't get hurt. But, you know, Penn State did what they had to do, and they won, and I thought that it was a very – I think, satisfying end to the 22 season for them. You talked about getting back to where they were, and, and, and Mark's mentioned that a bunch of times. I thought what was stood out to me is in the post-game availability, um, it, it was a player like Juice Krugs who is moving on from the program and maybe feels a little bit more free to say some of these things. But, you know, I, you know the expectation he said for 2023 for Penn State is to compete for a national championship. Curtis Jacobs said the same thing. We heard younger members of this roster say, the goal is to win a national title next year. And they said it with a straight face. They said it with conviction. Don't think we could have heard that with conviction after 2020 or heading into spring of 2021 or working our way out of last season down in Orlando. If a player had said that in the locker room, you know, it would have been picked up a little bit differently. It would have been perceived differently. Now I think people are hearing it. We're writing about it. They're saying it, and no one's sneezing at it. Now, to win a national championship, you got to go through some incredible teams. We saw how difficult that task was just a few days ago for Ohio State and Michigan. But that party's going to open soon. But this team knows it's only four, and they're still saying national title. Mark, that to me is where the mindset has shifted. The culture is in a really good spot coming out of this. you got to hope it survives and keep it intact. You're going to lose some key leaders. You may lose some surprises to the portal. That's always in play. Your goal right now is to get on the field, come spring ball, and still have the same vibes across this the group when they put those pads back on. Yeah, it's hard to get to this level once. Mm -hmm. And then if you slip back the way Penn State did through the COVID years, um, you know, that's a difficult thing. But then to, to then to reestablish it, as you said, I mean, to get here again, you know, I think that says a lot about the coaches. I think it says a lot about the veteran players. Where do they go from here? I mean, I, I think it. we touched on it throughout the podcast. It was huge that so many guys opted into this game and that they put the that they were rewarded for it, that the program was rewarded for it. What message does that send to future teams? But to be able to leave this program at least where they found it after everything that happened through those two years, I think was just gigantic. You mentioned the word culture. That's huge anymore. It's, it's bigger than it's ever been. Because if you don't have a positive culture, you are going to be bleeding players left and right. And knock on wood for Penn State, they haven't done that so far. Now, are we naive enough to think that there may not be people popping into the portal? That that could very well happen. It may happen by the time people listen yeah, to this. Yeah, for yeah. Who knows? But I think if you compare what's going on at Penn State to what's going on at a lot of different other programs, Penn State is in a very good spot, and I think that speaks to the culture 
a little thing like Joey Porter Jr. coming back for this game, a little thing like Parker Washington deciding to still be part of the team, could he have gone and worked out for his legs and stuff? No, but he could have worked on his upper body. He could have been you know, somewhere where the weather was actually nice as opposed to, to L.A. this week. But I think those things, the 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 Nick Tarburtons, the 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 uh, Brenton Stranges, uh, the Juice Scruggs is the veteran players opting into the game. That to me speaks to the culture, and that that's what you're going to need to compete for the title. You are going to need that because if you start having significant turnover every year, mm-hmm. it's going to be very difficult to do that. So I think they're in a good place culture wise. Let's see if they can maintain it. But to be able to get back to this spot after where they were following 2021 and after where they were circling back to where what I said early in this podcast, where they were in late October of this year, I think is just gigantic for the program. Yeah, it felt like the last two and a half months of last year left a lot of questions. Although along the way, James Franklin got that contract extension and locked in long term. They created so many questions that you got to answer on the recruiting trail. You've got to answer within your locker room. You've got to answer when you wake up in the morning and look in the mirror. And it felt like in the last two and a half months of this season, they found a lot of a lot of stabilizing factors, and they found uh, the track that they want to be on. Uh, and we'll see if they can keep on it because it's going to create a lot of excitement heading towards next September. There's no doubt about it. Now you got to actually live up to those expectations because they have been lifted again for Penn State coming off of a 35-21 to 21 victory over number eight Utah. Uh, this ensures that Nittany Lions are going to finish with a top 10 ranking uh, this season. And that says a lot coming off of a, a span where you're 11-11 11 11 over a couple of years. And, and one thing that stood out to me, guys, that I think was a nice peek into, into the culture of this room was chatting with Mitch, Mitch Tinsley after this matchup. I mentioned on the pregame podcast, this was a dream come true. Zero scholarship coming out of high school. Loved watching the Rose Bowl. Saw it as a level he couldn't get to. Um, he had his pick of the litter, Florida State. Teams in the SEC, uh, had USC, in fact, offered him a scholarship in the transfer portal. Um, he picked Penn State, didn't have explosive numbers, but in this game, he was the number one target uh, in terms of t- uh, eight targets on the day. That was actually double of what Keandre Lambert-Smith saw. He had 49 yards on six catches and a touchdown. He reached the end zone in the Rose Bowl uh, and, and led a top 10 team nationally. And he will come out of this experience and he will pick up the phone for James Franklin and call anyone who asks and say, go to Penn State. I did. It was a huge decision. So will Chop Robinson. And there's a lot of guys across college football making knee jerk decisions based on maybe things that they shouldn't be trusting, things that aren't necessarily data points, things that look great right now, maybe for the next 12 months. And Penn State, I think right now what you're hearing from the guys who are coming here and, and hearing the pitch and then experiencing it. Job Robinson is loving life. He was all smiles last night. And a guy like Mitchell Tinsley, who, who really had an important decision, one year to make uh, the most of it, I think he feels like he's going off to the pros uh, with, one, a tremendous college football experience, but, two, the springboard that he was looking for when he put his name in the transfer portal last year. And so I just wanted to share that little anecdote because really cool for Mitchell Tinsley and I think a little bit of a, a kind of a peek behind the curtain of how Penn State is operating right now. So I think that's it. <laughs> I, I think that we've on run that out note, of things to say. Yeah, note, yeah, I think we've run out of things to say. Well, we also have to check out of the hotel. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, we got to get out of here. They're going to kick they're us kick out. Us. We've been here too long. Um, but it's been a great covering the Rose Bowl with you guys. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. I mean, it's been it's been great covering the team with, with both of you all season long. Done with you, Mark, now for, for, for about half a decade. 
Uh, but but Daniel, first time on board. It's been awesome. Well, Tyler Calvaruso has been holding down the fort for us, chipping up some basketball coverage during the week. But uh, great time here in the Rose Bowl. And I think it, it's it's safe to say that we're entering an offseason where conversation is going to be about the college football playoff. And it's up to Penn State to, to prove people right or to prove people wrong again. Uh, but it's going to be fun having those conversations with you guys here in the podcast and on the content to come online, 247.com. We'll see you guys both back in Pennsylvania. That's right. Not, none of us are going to have any travel issues. It's going to go smoothly. <laughs> Smooth as can be. And we'll be back uh, a little bit later here in the week with our first episode, or our, our first episode that looks a little bit ahead beyond the Rose Bowl. Uh, we'll talk about these transfer portal additions that Penn State has added uh, and get to the latest on the recent roster maneuvers as Penn State's about to welcome in these early enrollees in a matter of just days. Uh, so things move forward fast in college football, but fun to take some time, reflect on the experience in Pasadena. A ton of coverage up at lines247.com. Thanks to all of our loyal listeners for sticking with us throughout this entire season. 13 games in the books for Daniel and Mark and our producer, Lance Glenn. I am Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7 podcast.